Hello and welcome back to another bonus edition of the storyteller Murder Most Foul, which follows on from the latest episode called A Tale of Two Women, which is obviously in reference to Melanie and Pamela, but neither of those women have voices. One is dead and so her friend and family spoke for her and the other, well the version of her that was known at that time ceased to exist when the arrest was made, but we heard from her friend Claire. And we may hear from Pamela Gurley herself, but more about that in a later episode. So I have something a bit different this week. I have a special guest coming up in the second part of the episode. But first, I want to reflect a little bit more on our two women and the two Claires, their friends. Neither of the Claires have ever spoken publicly before. And so I'm very grateful to them because this was hard for them to do for different reasons. I explained that with Claire Forbes, I contacted her cold through social media and I had to prove that my intentions were good and she only agreed to do this because I had the backing of Melanie's family, which actually made me respect her even more. And she's doing this to help Susan Patrick and her family. And in a future episode, you'll find out the lengths that she's willing to go. How did you feel when I contacted you? I'm guessing it must have come out of the blue to ask you to speak to me came out of the blue but I think instantly as soon as you said 20 years ago I knew it was Melanie's case I knew it was Melanie's case and at the time I wouldn't speak to any reporters I wouldn't speak to anybody out of respect for Melanie's family I didn't think that anybody should just be given stories for the sake of it um, but I did think that I would speak to you this time because of respect for Melanie's family and that if I could help in any way I would because she shouldn't be forgotten Let's not forget, Pamela was her friend. She trusted her. She trusted her with her baby and was even planning on letting her move in, which was discussed just the evening before the murder. It would be easy to just say bad things about someone with the gift of hindsight, but part of the shock of this story is this wasn't someone on an extremely troubled path. Although Claire did tell me of some odd things Pamela had lied about, which wasn't realised until after the arrest. She always seemed quite happy when she was round about us, like me and Morgan. She always seemed quite happy. And she was always happy to, like, oh, I'll do that for you, I'll change your nappy, I'll do this, I'll do that. You know, like, I'll make you a cup of tea or... You know, she was just... She was a really... Like, at the time, yeah, you, you couldn't fault her as a friend, which I think is it made it so hard to understand and to this day 20 years on still so hard to understand how you could be that person mm-hmm. and be so kind hearted and be so nice to then go and be that horrible evil person mm-hmm. like it's worlds apart tell me about some of the stories that you had you know from her version of things to begin with and then you'd hear about it otherwise. So, first of all, if you take me through the birthday thing. Yeah, so she told us it was coming up to her birthday and I'd asked how old she was. She said she was 21. Obviously, I'd been like, oh, my God, we've got, we've got to make a fuss. And then her ex had come round to visit because I was friends with him as well. And then he was adamant. He argued with her and she argued back with him that he was saying she wasn't 21 and he, she was saying she was 21. And then obviously, once she got charged, it came out in the papers that he was telling the truth and she was only 20. So why she went through with the whole charade of saying she was 21, bought her 21st present, a card. And some things just didn't seem to make sense as well. Yeah, a lot of things didn't make sense. Do you recall Chris learning of the, the death, him being shocked as well, like, oh my God, we were we were sleeping that Chris night there. Chris was really shocked by it. 
Mm. Chris was really shocked by it. And I think more so because Chris had been in the building. Mm. He was horrified. And did he say if he'd ever met Melanie or seen her? He, no, never. He'd, yeah. To me, he, he said he'd never met the lassie. Yeah. And did Pam say much about her? Because it must there must have been a curiosity from you guys. I going... had, I mean, when she moved, when obviously when she moved in and we'd went round, like I'd went round to see it and that, and I had asked, like, oh my, you know, like, because I remember at the time thinking, oh, I reckon if I would like this, Ken, living in a shared, mm. being quite young and living in a shared kind of, so I remember asking her, oh, have you met the other people that live here? And she had just said, oh, there's a couple lives down the stairs. And there's a lassie that works round at Nazareth's house. Mm -hmm. And that was all she ever said. She never said she'd, like, tried to make friends with her or that if she'd spoke to her in the past and she never mentioned her. She must have had some conversation because if she even knew she worked there, yeah. I guess that must have been a thing. And did she see her... Did she talk about her parents much? Did she see them that much? I mean, yeah. She, I think she used to see her mum once every couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. She didn't see her dad quite as often. And she had a sister. Yeah. She spent quite a lot of time with her sister. Her sister lived two blocks up from me and for Martin Road. Mm -hmm. And she did used to visit her sister quite a lot. Mm -hmm. So they obviously had quite a good bond. Mm -hmm. And but she had a child. She had a child. But then sometimes I think Pam thought that her mum maybe favoured the sister as well mm -hmm. because the sister had a child. And It's hard to contemplate how you'd feel if someone you spent time with every day was suddenly charged with murder and your home got raided as a result. Well, Claire actually ended up moving away. You're then obviously released by the police and you have to go back home and deal with your daughter yeah. and the mess that they've they'd knocked your door down, so I imagine yeah. they'd had to get that repaired. Yeah. And tell me about, they'd ripped up a bit of carpet. Yeah, well. they'd ripped up a wee bit of carpet where there'd been a bit of blood on the wall, but it was off a dog's paw. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they just... Kind of, it was just that horrible feeling. They'd been through everything I owned, and you know, what I mean, they'd lifted a carpet, and just all the neighbours as well. You know, everybody like wondering what was yeah, going on. Yeah, Ken. Yeah, it was pretty horrible, but yeah. And I understand that they'd had to search your home, but the, the police you'd been fairly kind of abruptly treated, shall we say? Oh yeah. And then, uh, you know, and I, I think you do have a level of understanding that they would have had to search your property. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But some, and, I, and sometimes they, they I, don't let you grab stuff. It's like you need to leave your property yeah. now. So after she'd been arrested, do you remember the first conversation you would have had with, with Chris? Because I'm sure he would have obviously been brought in as well. Yeah. I think all the conversations that any of us had all went in the same kind of line of, can it be her? She couldn't have done that. And then the realisation that, yeah, she had done that, everybody, we were just so shocked. Mm -hmm. You know, like... And did, did Chris seem that way as well? Because there's a close friendship between you and her, but he was having a, an intimate sexual relationship yeah. with her and, and, you know... Yeah, he did. I mean, yeah, he was, like I say, he was shocked and devastated by the whole thing at the time. And for me, I always at the time thought, it must be a bit worse for him because he's actually... Because of the intimate thing, you would, you know what I mean? Like, there's a level of trust there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you've so, had sex with someone, so yeah. And then it just, and it, that's the thing. This is the thing that, from when it happened, everybody started drifting apart. Mm. Everybody kind of went into themselves a bit, and mm. you just wanted to be at home by yourself. And mm. we all kind of just started to very much drift apart after that. 
A reminder, we have a special guest coming up soon. But first, I'd like to take more time for you to learn more about Melanie. Now, I know a lot of true crime fans are fascinated by the macabre elements, but it's so important to remember the victims, and often they are the ones who are forgotten. So I want to make sure that Melanie is not forgotten. Yes, she was incredibly shy, but she was also very cheeky with a wicked sense of humour. Her friend and former colleague Claire Law told me a few tales which made me smile. So tell me about um, your your attempts at having a social life. Um, well, this other girl, Helen, she was slightly older than us and she's... Um, quite a free-spirited girl and so she she would go out sometimes so she invited us out and we kind of felt obliged to say yes because she was like new to the village so we went out and it was I think it was a Kaylee or a dance or something so we went to the the hall and we went in and we paid you know for our tickets and it's like there was only like two people there so we weren't sure if we were early or not. So we thought we don't want to just sit there like idiots. So we left and went to the local pub and it was so busy. But we were so intimidated because like, you know, because I don't go out very often. It's just everyone looked at us and it's like, we all sat at a table and I don't drink any alcohol. And I don't think Melanie drank either because I think she'd be too embarrassed in case she got drunk because it was a local village. <clears throat> so our friend Helen, she had a pint, so we all sat there. And it's like we didn't really speak because we didn't feel comfortable because there was such a big crowd. So we all decided it was a bit of a disaster, let's go home. So me and Helen decided to walk Melanie to her house because it's like a longer street. We walked her home and we just laughed the whole way because it was so funny and pathetic and you know people were like looking at us as if we were a gang of teenagers drunk you know it was so funny but the reality was you're just giggling because you'd had such a yeah. disaster a, a socially awkward night of going out and not knowing what to but do it was fun it was yeah. still fun you know Good. yeah so melanie although she had quite a kind of um you know, uh, the cheeky side of her. She was also very shy, though. With yeah. So when you got to know her, her personality came out. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So tell me about some of her sort of cheeky tendencies or anything you can remember. I remember one time that because of her face was slightly slanted, you know, a work colleague um, was a bit kind of nippet with her and Melanie sort of gave her, you know, a funny look but, um, you know, the, the work colleague was a bit offended at this kind of funny look. So once Melanie went away, um, the work colleague said, oh, did Melanie give me a funny look? And I went, no, I said, have you not noticed her face is a bit like squint? Oh, no, I didn't notice. I says, well, it would have just been like the way she looked at you. It would have looked as if she was, yeah. you know, so... Later on, I explained to Melanie what the work colleague had said, and she goes, of course, I gave her a funny look. <laughs> <laughs> I so love it. she could kind of use, yeah. you know, she, she was funny. She that way. Yeah, okay. yeah. So you were saying that sometimes, because she looked so young and she was so little, because she was very small, she was yeah, only four foot, four foot ten or something, the four foot eleven, um, that 
some colleagues didn't really believe in her abilities, but she proved them wrong. I can't even think of like tasks that they would want done and Melanie would always volunteer. So, oh, I'll do it. And it's like, no, 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 you're too young. You're too young. And it's like, but she's a care assistant. She's obviously old enough to care. And she'd be quite offended as if, oh, did I think I'm rubbish at my job or whatever. But it was because she was so young. They just, you know, didn't really realise that she was capable because a lot of people that worked in the care home were locals as well and remembered Melanie when she was young. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas I like was a lot younger than our work colleagues, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's why we got on so well. But she was very determined and she didn't let that stop her. Not at all, no. So she would just go ahead and do the job yeah. anyway. And then even if she got into trouble for doing it, it was like a case of no, I'll, I'll prove that I can do it. I'm quite capable. Oh, bless yeah. her. Bless her. I love hearing that about her. I think that's wonderful. Well, I've certainly enjoyed getting to know Melanie a lot better through doing this podcast because for me, she was a photograph um, and a name and uh, a job title. Of course, I connected with her family, as you can hear, I'm sure, but it's a bit different with the victim. It's, it's hard to describe. Now, I've been promising you a new voice on this show, and this voice is going to help you understand the other voices because I'm about to give you a little bit of a lesson in Doric. Now, Doric is the native Germanic vernacular of non-Gallic Scotland, which descended from Northumbrian dialects brought into Scotland from the 7th to the 12th century. And joining me, I have Joyce Faulkner, an actress, a poet and a writer, and I think safe to say, a bit of an expert in the Scots tongue. Welcome, Joyce. A bit like uh, Isla. <laughs> and that means, how am I? Is that correct? <laughs> ah, that's a greeting uh, if you see somebody fit like means basically, how are you doing? <laughs> yes. So obviously the listeners are becoming well acquainted with certain words and I've explained Ken and fit. But would you mind just telling me a little bit about the history of the language? Well, the Buchan tongue, as it's uh, known, is it's really Lalland Scots. It's just a form of Scots folk that are acquainted with our national bard, Robert Burns. He wrote in Scots. But the northeast, the Buchan tongue, is specific to the northeast. We've got also a lot of a Nordic influence in the, in the language as well. You mentioned Robert Burns there, and of course people will be familiar with Old Lang Syne, which they sing at New Year, but they probably don't know the words, and even if they did, they don't know what they mean, because there's quite a few in there, isn't there? Ald, uh, um, Ald of course, is old. The specific thing about the North East tongue, it's interesting that um, Melanie came from Balater, which is, as you spoke about earlier, is in Royal Deeside. And I suppose the irony of it being Royal Deeside is the actual tongue of the North East, uh, the vowel sounds are almost completely the opposite of as what is sometimes referred to in the UK as Queen's English, or received pronunciation, which is very clipped. Um the vowel sounds when you uh, the northeast tongue basically takes those vowel sounds and turns them on their head, their head. For instance, oh, the round round becomes rune, 
down becomes dune, brown becomes brune. The oo sounds very prevalent, as is the ah sound. Um, probably noticed a lot of canas and dinners. For instance, can't becomes cana, don't becomes dinner, won't becomes winner, and the word ah for all is used quite a lot. So everybody becomes abody, everything becomes a-thing. So I think those are words that you've probably heard a lot in the interviews as well. There's one that, uh, I don't know if it's been mentioned yet, but it's Claire that says it, and it's one of my favourites, baldy heed, <laughs> which means baldy head. A head becomes a, a heed. Sometimes they miss out the consonants as well, like um, instead of taken, teen, teen. Yeah. Teen, I, uh, uh, he, to have is to he, or give, gee. Um, so I also the word nay is used quite a lot in the northeast instead of no. I've got, uh, so I think the word clays is used as well. So no clothes would be nay clays. I remember being caught out once being offered a clean tool and I had no idea if they were offering me a spanner or a... It was, <laughs> it was my uh-huh. ex-in-law's uh-huh. house and I'm going, you need a clean tool? Uh-huh. And I'm like, sorry, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. And, all, and also within within the northeast, even you you can go, you know, 20 miles. And I mean, the town, the town is the tune. So... I mean, both uh, Melanie and Pamela were young girls who had come for the rural upbringings into the tune they would have referred to going to bide in the tune. Claire explained the difference between a, a, a tuchter and a, a coaster. So a tuchter is like a country, a country person and then the, the coaster is a person that lives on the coast. Um, and it's so funny, though, because there is such a huge difference in accents. I mean, you and I, for example, now, this is a bit more unusual because where I grew up was a town. It was a new town. It was built in the late 70s, early 80s, and it was for all the people who were coming in to work from the oil. My parents aren't from Aberdeen. They're from Glasgow, but grew up all over the place and didn't have strong accents. But most of my schoolmates don't have strong accents. But then you grew up... uh, seven miles away actually, seven miles away and the difference between our accents is pretty big but even from Aberdeen if you head north to Peterhead, Peterhead, it's a completely different accent to yours isn't it? That's also to do with the the background of the work, I mean fishing I I suppose where I come from was was mere a fishing background so in the coastal communities would have a very slight there's a different you can differentiate between the uh, coastal places and the the, the fairman folk or the chukters as was mentioned in a, in an episode and of course some of the people around the world they'll have heard the accent in Outlander for example but also in the Disney film Brave and what I love about that film is they actually get the clans correct and that they have the different accents from different parts of Scotland and the one that un- <laughs> the people can't understand is from Aberdeen <laughs> uh, I, th- I think it's just there are the, the, the words that are compared to the rest of Scotland that are, that are uh, just a, a much bigger uh, density of words because of 
uh, the Nordic influence as well. I wanted to touch on the culture as well, of course, because um, you've been listening to the podcast and heard the story about when Susan had to go and identify or chose to go and identify her daughter's body and she sort of was apologetic that she she didn't cry. But then, as the pathologist said to her, you're from the northeast and you're kind of, yeah, you're strong. You're, you're stoic. Mm-hmm. I think stoic's definitely a word that describes the, the personality of the people from the northeast. Uh, possibly a lot of it's to do with the, with the weather. I mean, it can be bitterly, bitterly cold, cold here. It can be two degrees here, but the wind chill factor makes it feel... I remember going to... Uh, Canada and the States and it was minus 20 and it just didn't feel as cold as Aberdeen because we have a dampness and a raw the the northeast air and I suppose that, uh, that maybe has to do with the personality of the people I do think northeasters are as friendly as anyone else but initially there is a a reserved kind of a stoic persona, and especially that thing about nature and emotion that you spoke about in that episode, it's very much, you just get on with it. That's a very familiar phrase in the North East, you just get on with it. Every funeral I've been to, I'm, I'm like shoving the tears down because it's 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 almost like frowned upon. You're not you're not supposed to cry. Very much so. The expression, oh, they did very well. It refers to basically they didn't cry, they didn't greet. Means they did very well. So it's you don't you don't sh- you don't show these uh, you don't don't become emotional or sentimental in any way. You're almost congratulated for for remaining strong, but I think it's also it relates to as well. It was a hard life in that part of the world. You know, the oil industry is a new thing from the the seventies, and of course, there's a lot of wealth now. But this part of the world, it was a tough place to live. Very much so. I mean, fishing and farming in in the northeast. I suppose it's just generations or of a hard lives. So it makes the folk very resilient and stoic. Certainly, I think the the reaction to what happened in Great Western Road 20 years on, people are still very shocked and it's ingrained in people's heads, you know, the horror of uh, what happened there. You're absolutely right, because even though you know people don't show emotion, they f- they feel it deeply, and and when it happens to one of our own, it's something, of course, that's uh, it's a big shock. Um, but in fact, two two local lassies. That's why it's so so difficult to to get our heads around. And do you remember it from the time when it happened? Very much so, and uh, the the faces of the girls, and the fact it was two young queens. The one was the victim, the other, the perpetrator, made the whole thing just so shocking. Absolutely. Well, Joyce, thank you so much for for joining me today and helping educate people on the 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 story behind the language and a few more of the words. And I'm very grateful. Thank you so much. Nay bother, Ayla. Nay bother. <laughs> we all know that means no bother. <laughs> And so that's it for this week's bonus episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a bit different anyway. There is an absolute corker of an episode coming up. It's called The Solicitor. So I'll let you guess who it is that I'm interviewing. And it's an absolutely fascinating insight. And I'm going to use that word again. It's quite chilling. 
So join me for that. I'm Isla Traquere. I'm the writer, producer and editor of this, the storyteller, Murder Most Foul. And if you enjoy this podcast, please, please go into iTunes, rate and review. It means a lot, especially you over in America and Australia. Let's get this story heard all over the world. And of course, there's lots more information on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening.